Well, good morning. Good to see a lot of new faces out here. Welcome. So, last week, if you were here, uh, you know I made a few comments at the beginning of the sermon about what happened in Charlottesville last weekend. And, uh, you know, I've had some more time over this week to reflect on that and pray about it and think about it. And I feel compelled to make just a few more comments uh, before getting into the sermon today. And I actually feel like uh, what I'm about to say is going to help lead in quite well to our final sermon on uh, sharing our faith. Um, but last week I said that it's, uh, it's very important for us as the church to reject racism in all of its forms. Uh, the church is called to be a revolutionary community where the things that ordinarily divide us no longer do. And race is certainly one of those things that frequently divides. Uh, and it should not, especially in the church. And when we disrespect people of other races, there is a sense in which we disrespect God, uh, because all people bear the image of God. I've noticed that in much of the conversation surrounding what happened, there are uh, some folks out there whose uh, first, first emphasis is to talk about the importance of free speech. And um, they focus on how those who gathered to promote white nationalism, they had a right to do that, and it's important to protect that right. And I would like to say two things about that. The first is that free speech is an incredible gift that we have in this country. It is valuable, and it should be protected. I, I'm very thankful that when I get up here on a Sunday morning, I'm not really accountable to the government for what I say. You know, I'm accountable to God, and I'm accountable to all of you, but I'm not accountable to the government. Um, and that's the gift of free speech. That's, that's a great thing. And, <clears throat> you know, if, if, if uh, we try to deny the freedom of free speech when people say things we don't like, um, we may find ourselves in a situation later where people are being denied free speech when they're saying things that we do like or that we want to say. And, and that's not good. You know, free speech is valuable. It should be protected. But here's the second thing I want to say, uh, which is if emphasizing free speech <clears throat> is our main response to what happened in Charlottesville, then I think we've stopped short of the appropriate response. Uh, it's one thing to protect free speech, but the real question is, how are we going to use our free speech? I want to encourage all of us to take the gift of free speech that we have and use it not only to protect free speech, but also to proclaim what is good, to denounce what is evil, and to guard each person's dignity. Uh, we sang that song, we, we will know they are Christians, but they will know we are Christians by our love last week. And there's a line in that that says, we will guard each man's dignity. And um, that's what we should be doing with our free speech, guarding each person's dignity, not just protecting the right to express evil ideologies, uh, but also using our free speech to reject those ideologies. So that is my call to you. To all of us, let's put our free speech to use 
in a positive way. The other thing that I feel led to say <clears throat> is we, we need to remember, and this is a tough one, but we need to remember that not only do the victims of racism bear the image of God, but also the racists themselves. Uh, the image of God in racists is being distorted, it's being misrepresented, but those people are still made in the image of God. Now let me be clear, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't firmly denounce the ideologies that they're representing, but it means that they are still people who we are called to love. Jesus said, love your enemies. The people who express evil ideologies are, in a sense, our enemies. But that doesn't mean that we are allowed to hate them. And we need to keep that in mind even as we express our sympathy and our solidarity with those who are dehumanized by things that they, they're saying. Christ calls us to hate ideologies. He does not call us to hate people. As hard as it can be sometimes to separate those two things. I was very inspired this week uh, when I came across a documentary about a person who I think has done an impressive job of hating ideologies while loving the people who represent them. Uh, the documentary is called Accidental Courtesy, and it's about a man named Daryl Davis. He is a, a black blues musician in his late 50s. Uh, he identifies as a Christian. That's not explicitly said in the documentary, but I read it on his Wikipedia page, and actually it makes a lot of sense that he would be a believer. Um, and he has a hobby of befriending members of the KKK. Uh, has, has anyone heard of Davis? Raise your hand if you've heard of Davis. Uh, I thought it would be good for us to watch the trailer to the documentary right now, so hopefully we can bring that up. Remarkable, isn't it? Uh, I would definitely encourage you to watch that documentary this week. It's on Netflix. If you have Netflix, you can find it there. And if you want to skip your usual routine in small group and just watch that and then discuss that, I would encourage that. But just to give a quick overview of, of the documentary, it's about how since the early 1990s, uh, Daryl Davis has seen over two dozen people uh, renounce their KKK membership and hand them, hand him their robes as a symbol of that uh, repudiation. And uh, it was their relationship with him that led to that change of mind. And uh, there's some people who uh, take issue with the, his approach, and, and that's in the documentary, so that's another thing you might want to discuss in your groups, is those who would disagree with the, with the way he goes about doing things. Um, but anyway, what really struck me about this is the fact that these people that Daryl Davis interacts with, they change their mind, okay? And <clears throat> this documentary is very timely, not just because of these events in Charlottesville, but also because of this sermon series that we are in, which is about sharing our faith. Because when we're sharing our faith, what we're really trying to do is to get people to change their mind. You hear in scripture, uh, that word, repentance, right? Repent, repent. Well, what the word repent really means is to change your mind. When a Ku Klux Klan member disavows his ideology and he hands over his robes to a black man, it is an incredible act of repentance, an incredible act of changing one's mind. 
And when we talk about how to share our faith, what we're, what we're really talking about is how do we change people's minds? How do we get people to repent? You know, because people, when we're asking people to put their faith in Christ, we're asking them to change their very reason for living. We're asking them to completely reorient their values. That's an incredible thing to invite people to do. And it's not an easy thing for somebody to go from not following Jesus to following Jesus. Repentance. I remember once, after a challenging conversation with a friend, I wrote down in my journal, sometimes it feels easier to move heaven and earth than to change anybody's mind about anything that actually matters. And, you know, I still feel that way a lot today. But the reality is sometimes people do change. Sometimes minds transform. And Daryl Davis has two dozen white hoods as an example of that. And so, one, I want us to be encouraged, uh, because if white supremacists can change to believe in the value of all races, then, of course, people who are adamantly opposed to Christ can have an experience of turning and following him. And secondly, I think we need to consider how Davis's approach can influence our approach to leading people to Christ and challenging them to repent and change their minds. So in this final part of our Sharing Our Faith series, I'm going to refer back to Daryl Davis's example several times, because uh, I really do think there's a lot that we can learn from it. So far in this series, we've been emphasizing the foundational point that part of what it means to follow Jesus is to encourage other people to follow Jesus. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew, before he ascended into heaven, he gave the Great Commission, and he told his disciples to go into all the world and make other disciples. So this is part of what it means to follow Jesus. In the first part of this series, we looked at Acts 17, and we talked about Paul's example of sharing his faith with people that he really didn't have any prior relationship with. Uh, although, even though he didn't know these people, he was still sharing in contexts where it wasn't that unusual to talk about faith and to talk about philosophy and that sort of thing. Uh, people in those days would meet in the synagogue, they would meet in the marketplace, and they would talk about faith. And I made the point that we also, if we want to share with people we don't really know, should be seeking out contexts where it's not too bizarre or strange to bring up issues of faith and of philosophy and meaning of life and all those sort of things. There are places where those kinds of conversations go on, and I think we should seek them out. And then last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13, and we talked about the foundational principle we need to keep in mind when sharing our faith, which is the centrality of love, which I defined as the will to bless another. That is what love is, the will to bless another. And if what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13 is true, and it is, then um, the will to bless another should be our main motive for sharing our faith. It should be something we try to communicate to people whenever we're sharing our faith. And it should be what we recognize as the most powerful tool that we have to draw people to Jesus. Not clever arguments, but love. The expression of the will to bless. Now in this final week in our series, I want to offer a few more tips for sharing our faith. Uh, maybe some that are a bit more practical than what we've talked about so far. 
But before I do that, I want to make one quick disclaimer. Uh, if there's anybody, anybody here who doesn't identify as a follower of Jesus, I recognize that you might find it a little strange that a bunch of Christians are gathered together on a Sunday scheming about how to get people to follow Jesus. Scheming's not a very nice way to put it, but I realize it could come across that way. It could come across as strange or manipulative. Uh, and if you're feeling that way, I just want to clarify two things. One is that we are doing this because we do believe that this message that we have to offer is true. Okay, this is not about promoting a lie. And secondly, we're doing this because we believe that the message that we have to offer is a blessing to whoever receives it. Uh, so this is not about manipulation to try and get people to believe a lie. Uh, and this is not about manipulation in, in order to coerce people into believing something for our benefit, in order to gain power or money or anything like that. This is about finding ways to, to share what we, what we believe is the truth in a loving way. So it's not about manipulation, it's about love. All right, with that in mind, this morning I have five tips for powerful evangelism. And uh, we're just going to dive right in. If you're taking notes, this is the, the first one on the outline. Number one, learn the art of good conversation. Now, I'm talking to myself here because I'm an introvert by nature. Uh, I would not necessarily call myself the greatest example of a conversationalist, especially if I'm talking with somebody that I've never met before. But I am confident of at least three keys to having good conversations. Three things that I know if I'm focused on, my conversations improve. So the first thing is listening. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You know, when we think about sharing our faith, we usually think about it primarily in terms of what am I going to say and how am I going to say it. But unless you're in a position where you're teaching or you're preaching or you're giving just some sort of formal address, the reality is you're going to be sharing your faith in the context of a conversation. And a conversation is a two-way street, or at least it's supposed to be, right? So sharing our faith is not just about speaking. It's not just about what we say but it's also about listening. And listening is so, so important because it's one of the main ways that we communicate love, uh, which, as I emphasized last week, is the most powerful tool that we have for bringing people to Jesus. When we really listen to somebody, we honor them. And in honoring them, we show love to them. And when we refuse to listen, when we just talk and talk at people, we miss an opportunity to show love to them. I had a professor at seminary who would say, when you talk to somebody, and, and when they, they are speaking to you and you're listening to them, you should treat them as if they are the most important person in the world in that moment. And I think that's incredible advice. I can't say I do that all the time. I want to get better at that. But that is, that is an incredible thing to keep in mind, that this person who's talking to me right now, I need to regard them as the most important person in the world. So listening is loving. 
We should be, like James says, quick to listen. And that means that when people are talking, we're not just thinking about, okay, what am I gonna say to, to shoot them down in a moment? We're actually really taking in what they're saying. This is something that I noticed Daryl Davis modeling in that documentary. Uh, he sits down with these Ku Klux Klan members, people who, who represent absolutely reprehensible ideologies, and he listens to what they have to say. Now, he doesn't just nod in agreement like they're when they're talking and go, oh, that's cool, that's cool. He's very straight-faced. He kind of sits there like this, and he just... And it, I, I say that because I've noticed that sometimes when I see... Uh, when I would share my faith with students, I would hear students say, um, the students that we were trying to share with, say things that were really backwards and not good. And, and, and because the, the student who was talking to them wanted to communicate love, they would be like, oh, hmm, yeah, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. And I'd be thinking, what they said is horrible. Like, that's not cool at all. You shouldn't be nodding your head to that. It's okay when you're talking to somebody to just take in what they're saying respectfully, and listen. You don't have to affirm. You can just listen. Um, and then, when your opportunity comes to speak, you can speak honestly. That's something else uh, that I noticed Daryl Davis doing. But he listened first because when you listen first, then you, you create a situation where the person is more willing to listen to what you have to say. Second key aspect of good conversations is asking good questions. Become skilled at asking good questions. Questions like listening are another great way to show concern for people. The truth is, most people want to talk about themselves. Most people want to talk about what they think, but nobody ever asks. So be that person that asks, that loves them in that way and gives them that opportunity to do that. You, know, you can ask questions like, well, what, what do you believe about God? Why do you believe that? Did you have a faith when you were growing up? You know, how is your perspective now different from what you were taught when you were a kid? What makes it hard for you to believe in God? You know, who do you think Jesus was? What do, you, what do you think about Jesus? Ask questions like that, and then honestly listen to what they say. And the third element to good conversation, which I touched on earlier, is just speaking honestly. You know, I love how Davis, in his conversations with these white supremacists, he does not hold back from speaking his mind when the time comes. He listens, he asks good questions, but he doesn't stop there. Um, there's a willingness to challenge. In one exchange in the documentary, a white nationalist leader says to him very dismissively, oh, a lot of black people feel like white people have oppressed them and held them down. And then Davis calmly asks a question. He says, uh, is there any truth to that? And the man answers, I, I don't feel there is. Davis says, really? Which, of course, is not just a question. It's also a challenge, but it is a question. Um, and then again, the man says, well, I don't feel there is. And then Davis speaks honestly. And he says, well, what about when they were brought over here against their will? forced to work for nothing, their women were raped by the slave masters, their children were sold on the courthouse steps. And the white nationalist says, well, as far as slavery is concerned, it was a travesty. It should have never happened. Okay. 
See, a good conversation, it should be civil, but it doesn't have to be without conflict. Conflict is not necessarily bad. Davis says, as long as we're talking, we're not fighting. He says, even if we're yelling, we're not fighting. It's when we start throwing punches, that's when we're fighting. Talking is good. Um, so when the time comes for us to speak, when we're sharing our faith, we may have to say things that are challenging, things that disagree with what has already been said. And that is okay. okay we should do it with respect, but that doesn't mean we can't do it firmly and honestly. And we just need to listen and ask good questions in the process. All right, second tip for powerful evangelism is practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here, essentially, is be welcoming to people who are different from you. Uh, the word that gets translated here as entertain strangers is uh, philozenia. Philozenia, uh, which is a compound word of philo, which means love. So like Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And then xenia, which means other, stranger, foreigner. Maybe you've heard the word before, xenophobia. Okay, that comes from that, which means fear of other, the other, fear of the foreigner. So what's being said there is, don't forget to show hospitality to people who are different from you. And the writer reminds us, encourages us to do that, by saying that there have been times where people have entertained strangers and have actually been entertaining angels. There's several cases of that in scripture. Now, I don't think the writer's point there is to tell us that we should be hospitable just in case an, a literal angel comes by. I, I read some things that people wrote about this, and everyone gets wrapped up in, like, how many angels are there out there, and how many times might I have entertained an angel? And, you know, that's fun to speculate about, but the real point here is that we should be hospitable because we never know how significant the person we're being hospitable to might actually be. You know, Davis sometimes is hospitable to these people who represent these horribly evil ideologies because he doesn't know when he's being hospitable to them whether or not they are, in a sense, an angel. You know, whether or not they, in some sense, are going to transform and become a messenger for the kingdom of God. And that motivates his hospitality. <clears throat> now, this verse just commands us to be hospitable. It's not saying anything specific about sharing our faith. But I, I do think that's one of the reasons that it tells us to be hospitable. Because there's something very powerful to communicate love and communicate our faith when we are hospitable. Because when you invite somebody into your home uh, and you eat together, there's something about that that creates a bond. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus was always eating with people. You remember Jesus got accused of eating with the wrong people, too, right? Um, everybody's got to eat. Everybody. And I think preparing food can be kind of a pain. Anybody else? Right? And it's, it, you never get off that train. You have to do it every day. Like, it just never stops. And so when you 
sit down with someone and you eat, one, you're creating a bond because you are expressing this commonality that you both have to eat. And when you provide the food, then you are meeting a need that every person has. And that can be kind of um, exhausting to fulfill day after day after day. So there's something powerful about that. There's power to create a bond and there's power to create space where people feel the freedom to be open and real uh, about what they think and believe. And so I encourage you, if you want to share your faith, one of the things you should do is just invite some people over for dinner. Some people who are Xenia, who are other, who don't already belong to your community of faith. Um, and you don't have to bring up spiritual stuff right away. In fact, it's probably better not to. But start by creating a relationship of trust uh, with some people who think differently from you. That's a great first step. And when you do, listen, ask good questions, and when the time comes, speak honestly. And I want to add one other thing. When you do this, feel free to be yourself. Uh, I think we have a tendency to fall into one of two traps. One is to avoid talking about faith at all, because we don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, so we just avoid making any mention of it. And the other trap is to force the conversation, you know, really awkwardly and in, in a contrived way. I see you like the fish. Have you heard of becoming a fisher of men? You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> just <laughs> not a good way to do it. The better thing is just to be yourself, right? You know, if you're talking about your life with someone and faith is part of your life, you're going to end up talking about your faith at some point. If you go to say something and it's like, oh, at church this happened, or I've been doing this thing at church, and then you feel like, oh, it may make them feel weird for me to talk about church. No, just, just talk about church. And you may find that when you do, your guest says something like, oh, you guys go to church? I haven't been to church in years. And then you can say something like, oh, what was church like for you when you went? And then who knows where that conversation's going to go, right? But it could go to some really good places. So be hospitable, and when you do, be yourself. You know, invite someone into your home who doesn't know Jesus. Love them with good food and good conversation. If you have to order food because you can't cook, just order the food. Uh, do that and let things go from there. Third tip for powerful evangelism is rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, starting in verse 19, Jesus says, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What Jesus is telling his disciples there is, don't worry about having the right thing to say uh, when the challenge arises. When it arises, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the right thing to say. And I really think we need to be encouraged by those words. If we're attentive to the Holy Spirit with us, uh, which if we are followers of Christ, we should be, believe and trust that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. If we're attentive to him, he's going to provide us with the right words and the right demeanor 
when, uh, when we need that, when we're sharing our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't study the Bible. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to prepare ourselves to answer uh, challenging questions that people might ask. 1 Peter 3.15 has always been a significant verse for me. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for, to give the reason for the hope that you have. It is important to, to prepare. Um, but at the same time, we shouldn't feel like this is all on us. Right? We, we should feel like we can relax. You don't have to go into a conversation with a script all written out. Uh, we should trust that if we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, he's going to provide us with the right things to say at the right times. And we can have confidence in that. And it's that kind of confidence that prevents us from being fearful all the time and not stepping out and actually trying to share our faith. Or the, the absence of that, that confidence that does that. Another thing that relying on the Holy Spirit means is being sensitive to impressions that you might be receiving from him. Uh, maybe you find yourself at some point suddenly thinking about someone that you haven't thought about in years. You know, maybe somebody you went to college with that you haven't talked to since then. or I don't know, just somebody that has not crossed your mental space for a long time. When that happens, I encourage you to pray for that person. And I also encourage you to pray about contacting that person because there is a chance that the Holy Spirit is reminding of you of them right now because that person is ready to be in relationship with you and perhaps to hear about the gospel or to be ministered to in some way. So don't be too dismissive of your thoughts. Try to be attentive to them and ask, is God trying to lead me in a particular direction here? Another thing that relying on the Holy Spirit means is being willing to take some risks. Uh, maybe you're talking to a friend who's not a Christian and they tell you that they're sick you know, or that um, they've been injured in some way. Be open to saying to that person, hey, I'm a person of faith. Do you mind if I say a prayer for you right now? Uh, Best case scenario is that the person experiences a miraculous healing on the spot and, you know, they, they suddenly are uh, inspired to take God seriously, maybe for the first time in their lives. Worst case scenario, absolutely nothing happens in terms of physical healing, but they do feel that you care about them, right? So I encourage you to be open to putting yourself out there in that sort of way. You want to be sensitive when you do it to the situation, but um, if we believe that, that the power of God really dwells within us, we should be willing to step out sometimes in that sort of way. Tip number four for powerful evangelism, practice invitation. Practice invitation. Now this is a really simple one. Just invite someone to something. So invite someone into an environment where Jesus is recognized as Lord and people are honoring him. Okay, could be church. That's one of the prime ways to do it. Could be a Bible study, some sort of community group or something like that. But just take that step to make that invitation. You know, I think that we can be kind of hesitant to do that sometimes because of a fear of rejection. Kind of like asking somebody out on a date. I feel like if we get turned down, it's hard not to 
take that personally. But I really think we just need to get over that. Because when people turn down an invitation to church or to a Bible study, they're not rejecting us. They're just not interested in that activity. You know, and here's, here's a positive way to look at it. No one is ever going to be offended that you invited them to church. I mean, unless you just did it persistently after they asked you, please never do that, right? But in general, no one is, no one is offended by an invitation. I never got, I've gotten invitations to many weddings that I had no interest in going to, but I never opened it up and went like, oh, how dare they? How dare they invite me to this wedding? I mean, worst case, they'll turn you down. Um, best case, they'll come. And even if they turn you down, they might feel honored that you asked, that you want them to be there. So be willing to ask. You know, I hear, I hear a lot about evangelism strategies, and there's nothing wrong with strategizing. Uh, but sometimes I really think we make things more complicated than we need to. You know, sometimes all it comes down to is just that willingness to extend an invitation. Because I believe that when people actually take the step of coming into an environment for the first time where Jesus Christ is identified as Lord, for many people, there is power in that. Just that alone, feeling that sense of a different kind of community, different kind of environment than what they're used to, can put them on a track towards repentance and a changing of the mind. You know, I hear so many stories about terrible work environments that people are working in right now. Um, I feel so fortunate to have the kind of work environment that I have because it just seems to me that like half the people I'm talking to are in work environments where it's just so cutthroat. Everyone is just a means to producing some sort of product. Nobody is treated as a human being. Somebody who loves you one day will stab you in the back the next. How refreshing will it be for people to step into an environment that is the antithesis of that? So invite people. And I also want to say one other thing. If you have ever found yourself wanting to invite uh, your friends who are not Christians to this church, but you feel like there's something about the way that we do things that just makes it so you can't do it. You just don't feel comfortable bringing people here. I may regret this, but I'm gonna put it out here. I want you to tell me what that is. So I want you to email me this week and just honestly tell me, I really would like to bring people, but there's just this thing, I just can't get over it. Here's what it is. And don't worry about hurting my feelings. You'd be like, preacher's hair is too long. You can say that. Just whatever it is, let me know, and I will take that into consider prayerful consideration uh, for the future, because I want you guys to feel free to invite people into this environment. Finally, one more tip for powerful evangelism is be gospel-centered. Be gospel-centered. So what I mean by this is that when you do reach a point if you reach a point where you ex are expressing your faith in clear language, keep focused on the gospel message. And the heart of the gospel message is this. There is a God, 
He loves you in spite of the fact that you have fallen short of his standards. And the way that you can know God and be forgiven is through Jesus Christ. It's simple. Um, talk about Jesus. Talk about grace. Talk about how through the cross we encounter a God who is more willing to die for us than to allow us to die, to allow us to experience the full effects of sin and the consequences of that. What I encourage you not to do is get caught up in defending a particular view of Genesis, um, arguing over whether Noah could fit all those animals on the ark, uh, debating uh, theories about revelation and who the Antichrist might be, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, if people really want to have those conversations with you, I'm not saying don't engage them at all. Be sensitive to whatever they're saying. But I encourage you to try to steer the conversation towards the things that really matter. Try to steer the conversation towards grace. Try to steer the conversation towards Jesus. Uh, scripture tells us that it is in Jesus, it is in him, that all things hold together. And I think that's a good thing to remember, that our evangelism will not hold together unless it is centered around Jesus Christ. So those are the five tips. And I want to conclude this whole series with one last exhortation. So three-part message. This is the last exhortation I want to leave all of us with. Okay, you ready? Last thing, have fun. So sharing our faith is not always easy, but it should be something that we enjoy. Uh, when we have the right perspective about sharing our faith, it should not be a burden, right? It shouldn't be this heavy duty or obligation. It should be a life-giving adventure that we're participating in with the Holy Spirit leading us and us following and us having the privilege of getting to see God blessing people through that. That is really, really cool. And when we're doing that and we start to see the way that God is arranging things and setting things up, it's exciting. It's fun. And it, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you know, I might have a part to play today in bringing God's kingdom to somebody, that changes your perspective. It gives you life. And I think one of the reasons that this should be joyful for us is because we can have a confidence that God is working even when we can't see it. We should have a confidence that even small efforts on our part can be used in powerful ways, that little things that we, we do might echo for decades or eternity. Someone in our church uh, just told me that this last week he was talking to somebody that he had not seen in a very long time. We're talking like 30 years. And when he was talking to this guy, the guy said, you know, once I, I was over your house and we were going to eat, and you prayed before we ate. And, he, and you said, God, thanks for work and for the ability to work. And he said, you know what? I never stopped thinking about that. That prayer was prayed over 30 years ago. Isn't that amazing? You never know when you say a prayer, when you share your faith, when you offer a biblical view of the world, how much that's going to affect a person. You never know. And when you keep that in mind, sharing your faith is, should be an adventure, 
and it should be joyful. So let's keep that perspective and let's have fun. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this privilege of being able to partner with you, with your Holy Spirit, in making disciples in the world. Lord, we pray that you would empower us to be a blessing and to communicate in a loving and powerful way uh, the truth of the gospel. God, help us to look for opportunities to exercise uh, these things, to exercise good conversation and hospitality and generosity, Lord. Give us courage and confidence, and we pray that many people would come to saving faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.